to the Influence Factory podcast. This program is dedicated to support professionals who have a desire to develop their digital business influence so they can navigate through a fast-paced, constantly growing digital world. We invite newcomers as well as our family of business influencers to a place to play, share ideas, questions, tips, and guidance with other thought leaders around the globe. Sit back and enjoy our program with your host, Dean Delisle, as he interviews guests. News and commentary are provided by Jackson Delisle and Monica Hacker. Power Move lessons are provided by the Influencer Marketing Department at Social Jack. And production, editing, and distribution is provided by the Social Jack production team. Today's show is brought to you by Planable. Planable Planable.io gives your social media team everything they need to really move their creative process forward. It allows you to preview social media posts as they are live, real time. No more screenshots, mock-ups, spreadsheets, ah, spreadsheets. Your (laughs) clients can review content from within the platform. And do you have anything to say about it, Monica? It's a great platform. We've been using it now for a month. I love it. Um, It's a game changer in the content world. I highly suggest it. Yeah, go to Planable, P-L-A-N-A-B-L-E dot I-O to start your free trial today. All right. I'm excited today to announce a special guest, uh, Dr. Chris Vaughn, a friend of mine and then also a client and then also an advisor in terms of Uh, marketing strategy. And so he is the president of Sequence Consulting, creates award-winning marketing strategies that change the game. He's an expert on membership and engagement marketing, and also with platform-based marketing. So we're going to talk about that. Some of his clients include uh, AARP, the American Medical Association industry leaders, and he travels from anywhere from Asia to South America to all over the world to, uh, to actually help these companies out. And he believes that disruptive trends like social networks, longevity, and on-demand economy present unprecedented opportunities where his clients can win. Uh, Dr. Chris Vaughn, come on down. Hey, Dean. There he is. And you're only a few blocks away from me, too. I was thinking about that when you asked about going, you know, side by side. I was like, oh, we could have actually done that. But, um, you know, we don't have the studio set up for that today. But next time we'll do that. But uh, welcome. Thank you very much. I feel like I'm with you anyway. (laughs) Thank you. Uh, And I want to thank you for joining us. So, um, so uh, we're going to get into your story a little bit, but there's a couple of fun facts that you sent in that I would like to dive into right away. So uh, you say that you're a high school dropout with a PhD. I'd like to know how that works. And you said your mom is still mad. My mother has never gotten over that. She really wants the high school diploma. So um, I, I was what you would call a high school dumpster fire. Uh, <laughs> me, me and high school just didn't get along. And it was, it was clear that that wasn't going anywhere, uh, anywhere good. And uh, a friend of the family uh, knew about a place called Shimer College, so I'll put in a plug. It's uh, here in Chicago. It's not part of North Central College, uh, who was willing to take me after my junior year of high school. So I went to high school when I was seven, uh, college, I'm sorry, when I was 17, uh, 17 years old with my zero point something grade point average. They took a shot on me. Wow. And it's the second smallest college in the U.S., right? It was the second smallest college in the U.S. When I was there, there were 50 full-time students. So, wow. Uh, Intimate is not really strong enough a word uh, for the environment there, but it was an awesome, awesome experience for me. It really kind of uh, changed my life and discovered a love for, for philosophy, and I pursued that through a PhD. That's cool. And um, one of the uh, other cool things is that you were a child actor. You sang in operas, and you did a TV show where you actually played Dean Delisle, I heard. 
Well, I played a juvenile delinquent, so it, it was very similar. <laughs> right, exactly. Similar. Yeah. <laughs> I, I went to a school for creative and performing arts in Cincinnati, Ohio, sort of back in the 70s when fame was all the rage. So that's, oh, that's, who, we thought, that's who we thought we were, you know, dancing on the lunch tables and things like that, too. But as, as part of that, it was cool. They, they would hire us uh, for professional acting gigs. So I, I sang in the opera, and I did a show that was called Juvenile Delinquent. Um, we that's actually funny. got to play juvenile delinquent in front of a real judge. Uh, and my character actually got sent to jail. So this wow. Is a, this is a true story. That's crazy. It's like working with uh, some of the influencers out here. Um, so anyway, so with that, um, so, uh, so opera, you still appreciate opera then today? Not even a little. No, not even a little bit. That, that's funny. Yeah, I, I know so, it's some people, some people go, you're in the opera house. And I go, I know I hear it when I come in and out every day. They play opera music or whatever's being featured. And they go, how many have you been to? I go, uh, none. I'm just not, you know, I've done, I've been to thousands of plays and concerts and things. I'm but with it's you. Just, it's just, I just haven't fitted in or, and it's, you know, it, it, know. Acquired, an acquired taste I've never acquired. Let's put it that way. Anybody out there a fan of opera? We always like to find fans of things. So that's cool. And then uh, you're a cat whisperer and you taught your cat to fetch. And so did I. Does that make me a cat whisperer? I think it does. I think it does. And, and a delinquent. So we're learning lots of things about you. No, people know this about me, these things. So, <laughs> um, so, uh, so give us a little, uh, little bit of your story in terms of, you know, so you go from a high school dropout uh, to PhD mm -hmm. and you pursue a specific um, career and path and maybe help us understand, you know, because we all have uh, turning points. We all have mm -hmm. milestones, but just take us a little bit through the journey because you're, you're a very significant person and advisor in the world today. Uh, and we're going to get to some Thanks. of those things to help us out, you know, because uh, we're, we're all wanting to be better at what we do as well. But tell us a little bit about your story and your journey about how you got to here. Yeah, so I, I'm, I'm a recovering uh, academic, I like to say. I, I taught philosophy very briefly at uh, Indiana University. Um, and this was right around the birth of the internet, if you can remember that far back, where World Wide Web had just been invented. Um, and I was just taken with it. I was taken by the possibilities. I was taken by you know, the, the disruptive change that I saw coming, and I saw so much opportunity in it. I just wanted to be a part of that. Uh, and so I left the university, and I got a, a, my first job in consulting. Actually, I started as a, as a technology guy, kind of helping people figure out what to do with this internet thing um, and helping people navigate that change. And that's really launched my career in consulting. And I went on to become a, a partner uh, in one of the fastest growing uh, consulting firms uh, in the world, a firm out of Chicago called March which, 1st. You know, March 1st, yeah, because we outsourced with you guys back in the day. So Back in the day, yeah. We went from you know, a small Chicago company to 10,000 people in 30 countries around the world. It was just an exciting that. time, exciting time. Um, and and uh, I was there through, you know, 2000. At that time, we were one of the first companies that was trying to bring strategy and technology and branding together to do something with all this new, you know, technology and all this new thinking. Uh, and and it, was, it was great and it was exciting. Um, one of the things that we, we learned along the way, we did a survey, true story of our, our clients, uh, and what they told us was that consultants were too expensive uh, and they stayed too long uh, and that they didn't add enough value. Uh, and I had met my wife about that time, also at March 1st, and we agreed with them. We thought that that was true. Wow. So we launched our own firm, Sequence Consulting, in 2001. We loved the idea, but we thought that we could do it, uh, we thought that we could do it better. And that was 18 years ago. 
So we, we still focused on that space on how branding and strategy and uh, technology, now internet kind of come together to transform businesses. Uh, we really focus on uh, helping organizations engage better, uh, create more loyalty, uh, and ultimately we say we're in the, the belonging business. We think all these things can oh, come like together it. to make lasting attachments uh, to customers, and that's what we do for a living. Yeah, that's interesting you say that too. Um, uh, because when we have people that say, uh, hey, can you, um, can you build, uh, build out our social media for us? And I go, um, well, what's your experience in membership? And they, go, and they go, well, why does that matter? I said, well, because we build a community. And I said, people want to feel like they belong to something stronger than just social media posts. You know, they want to belong mm -hmm. to a group. Uh, what do you stand for? Who are you? And they go, you need to know all that. And I go, well, you need to know all that. I said, yeah. we need to use that to help you build your community. But, um, you know, so what do you have to say to those? I mean, what do you think about that? Do you see that like social media uh, as we build, you know, whether it's Facebook or Twitter or LinkedIn, we're actually building many membership systems, aren't we? I absolutely agree. As social media, it's just the, the vehicle, right? It's just the mechanism. Yeah. You know, and, it, and it's, it's an awesome mechanism. It's far flung and it's fast moving and, and um, lots of possibilities in it. But you know, what are you putting across the channel? And I couldn't agree more. It's how people want to feel, right? They want to feel like they're with people like them. They want to feel like they're important. They want to feel powerful. They want to feel like they matter. Um, and great membership organizations do those things. We work with a lot of membership organizations. You mentioned some of our clients. Uh, and they've become what they've become because they've been able to harness that sense of belonging. Um, that really lends itself to community. So I think mastering social media is, is part of the story, but mastering the message, right, and mastering uh, the feeling right behind it is really what separates the, uh, you know, the successful from the laggards. And tending to the members. And absolutely tending to the members, sort of creating that ongoing experience, not only with you, but also with each other, right? I mean, part of the role of these organizations is to create those connections right, or facilitate those kind of connections. Yeah, it's interesting. We'll have people that come to us and say, um, you know, I have, I have 10,000 followers or 25,000 followers and I want to get to 50,000. And I go, well, what have you done for the 25,000? Or what have you done for the thousand? Or what have you done for the whatever? And so I think a lot of people need to pause, look and say, well, first of all, do you have the right membership? You know, mm -hmm. it's like you could have the American Medical Association, but have you invited a lot of, you know, um, you know, lawyers in here? <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. so you have, you have the wrong mix, you know, and yeah. it's, it's just interesting how people don't think about those things. Yeah, and what is the value exchange? We spend a lot of time with our clients thinking about that, right? Different ways to think about uh, value. You know, clearly, if you have a community, you're providing some information, right? Or you're providing some sort of an experience. What are the other ways that you can layer value on top of that by, facilitating interactions with each other or exposing new experiences to them or curating some content for them or there's the, the you know the, op the opportunities are manifold but how are you thinking about value in a big way that actually makes them want to belong to this and not just participate in it once a week right absolutely and um, you know one thing before I want to get into strategy here because a lot of people are wanting to know strategy but there's two other things I want to know first First of all, I mentioned early on, and somebody actually texted me this message. Uh, you got your PhD in philosophy, right? That's right. What's existentialism? Existentialism. So existentialism is a school 
uh, of philosophy, which is essentially all about authenticity. I know that that's what I loved. Once I, I I learned that from you like what eight years ago. But I was like, but I was like, what? I I practiced the power of authenticity, and I didn't know this. That's what that was my main attraction to, to connecting with you early, early on. So I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The 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 idea behind existentialism is is that we create our own meaning in life right? through uh, through decisions and choices that we make every day. Um, there, there's no meaning in life out there for us to discover. You're creating it. You and I are creating it right now in this yeah. interaction that we're having. That there's a lot of freedom in that, right? We can be or do whatever we want, and there's a lot of responsibility involved in that because whatever our life is is a result of choices that we um, that we ultimately made. So, existentialism talks a lot about what it's like to live that way and what it's like to accept that responsibility and create your own meaning and, and how to be authentic. Um, and I was I was really inspired by that when I was younger. Uh, and I'm still inspired by that today. And I, we try to bring that into the work we do. Yeah, that is that is so awesome. Um, in in terms of, uh, I've gotten closer uh, as of late, as you know. You know, we're partnering on a few things. Um, yeah. I've gotten closer to the actual work that you do, and and have much more of an appreciation of what goes into it. Um, in terms of of membership. Uh, mm -hmm. organizations specifically, because I think we should all behave like membership organizations, you know, uh, treat our customers well, uh, treat mm -hmm. them before they come in the door well, et cetera, listen to them, pay attention to them. Uh, mm -hmm. From your perspective, when you walk into an organization, what are some of the, the common things? Because I believe the first day or first week or first month or first year of our business, there's things that we do really well because mm -hmm. we only have a few customers or clients or whatever it looks like. Yeah. And then, and I've been guilty of this. And then as you evolve and grow, you're like, Oh, I forgot these basics <laughs> to yeah. take care of people. Oh, I didn't do that. So what do you see as like sort of some common things that we should pay attention to that you see in most organizations when you walk? Yeah. In? Great, great question. One of the things we see almost all the time is uh, excessive internal focus. Right? That is, organizations grow, uh, and as they age, they turn inward more and more, and sort of operations becomes king. Uh, they talk to themselves about each other and how they work together, um, and they stop talking to customers, and they stop paying attention to their competition, and they stop watching the marketplace. Um, and you can sort of see a steady decline in organizations that do that because they're not getting new, they're not getting new information uh, from the outside. That's interesting. And then, and then to your point earlier about feel, the mm -hmm. customers lose that feel or that touch. Mm -hmm. And as a customer, you know, you will know you're dealing with an inward focused organization almost immediately, right? They're going to make you jump through a lot of hoops, right? There's a lot that you're going to have to do for them. And you know what an externally focused organization feels like because you'll feel comfortable. You feel like you belong there, right? You feel like you should be there. And it's, it, the difference is really, really palpable from the outside. And a lot of the work we do with organizations is helping bring that external perspective back into the organization. Um, and it's amazing how quickly things begin to change if they can uh, take it in. Yeah, that's super cool. So it must be exciting. You know, we transform, uh, you know, cultures with humans, we say, you know, in terms of helping to activate the humans within an organization, uh, yeah, both like inside and out. And then also... Uh, and, and we really love the transformation of, of uh, you know, the individuals as part of that, too. Um, 
So with that, you know, it's, it's exciting to watch that. And we get to see it publicly because we get to yeah. see when people all of a sudden start engaging online. And, you know, so ours, I think our satisfaction sometimes comes a little quicker than yours. You might have to wait a year or two sometimes yeah, yeah. To, to, to see the, the big, the big boat shift, if you will. Um, what are some of, uh, you know, um, you know, and again, I've, I've had a little peek inside of how you do this with companies. But when you go in, do you, do you typically, you know, you, you do an analysis initially, right? You know, just mm -hmm. like all of us, when we go in and we're like, we need to know what we're dealing with. Mm -hmm. so, so as part of your analysis, what are some of those things that you go in and you just look at um, companies, what do you actually break down? And I want everybody that's listening to this to think about it, whether you have a small organization, a large organization, because I believe this applies to everybody. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we look at it from, from three different angles, right? There's, a, there's an internal perspective. So what, what do you think about yourselves and what do you know about yourselves, right? You all have reporting that you look at. Maybe you have some you know, internal analysis that you've done, but that's where we start is what, what do you think is going on and who do you really think you are? And the second thing we look at is uh, your competition. Is, I'm sorry, is that like as a culture? Is that as a company? Is that as collective individuals? You know, what does that look like? It, it, it's all of the above. And we do that through a lot of one-on-one -on -one conversations with folks. And sometimes we do them in, in groups. Um, and interesting, because we'll all be talking about the same thing, right? We're talking about the company and the business. And every time we go to a different room, the center of the universe changes. Uh, moves with it, right? And you, we get a lot of different perspectives on the organization. And one of the things that we can do is bring all those perspectives together to tell a story, right? About this is really what's happening inside here. And this is what you really think about yourselves. And uh, 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 very often that's surprising because uh, they've never heard all those stories at once in one wow. place. Wow. Yeah. I bet that is uh, and then, then we look at the competition. So we really do a deep dive on what is the competition doing and what, what would you look like through their eyes? What do they think you are? Um, and that's often one of the most powerful things we do because very few organizations seriously study their competition. Right? They may look at what they see in the news, but very few really go to school on them. Uh, and oftentimes it can be alarming. Uh, oftentimes it can be shocking uh, that there are things going on that you don't know about. But these are the kinds of things that can really shake up an organization and, and lead to some new thinking. Uh, and the, the, mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I was going to say, I, you know, one thing that always comes to me and I, and I had to look through this too, especially because I've always, you know, punched ahead, been the thought leader and then people show up and, and it's hard not to be obsessed with what they do. And, and what I had to do was like, be aware of the competition. It's more of an awareness exercise mm -hmm. than an obsession. But I've now seen that in others where I walk in and they're like, our competitors are doing this and this and this and this and this and the things they're mentioning aren't exactly what they are. Mm -hmm. And do you see that too, where people like get over obsessed, like they're either not looking at the competition or sometimes they're over obsessed with the competition. Do you run into that at all? Over obsessed in the sense of, of following, right? It's like, yeah. and, and, and that's not the point. The idea is to get perspective, right? What do they see that you don't? What do they think about you that maybe you're not that you can't see from the uh, from the inside? Right. My my uh, my latest blog post was called "You You Can't Read the Label While You're Sitting in the Jar." Right. right that's, exactly. That's the, <laughs> that's the phenomena that we run into a lot. Is uh, you know you you may have your face pressed up against the glass, but you really can't see yourself when uh, when you're sitting in that position. That's interesting. And then you also do um, a fair amount of 
client or customer research, right? So you're actually not just looking at competitors. You want to hear what the customers have to say. We, we do. And we, we like uh, qualitative research a lot in those situations. Um, you know, talking to actual customers, current customers, former customers, prospects, you know, to, to hear the story, right? To hear the subtext and, and start getting some insights and ideas. Uh, and, you know, most marketing organizations will do that. Uh, in some certain contexts, we tend to do that in a very broad way uh, about the organization. Uh, we get lots of good thinking that way, lots of good ideas. And part of our job is to pull all those pieces together to, to give the organization a reflection of themselves. It's like, this is who you are from the outside. Who do you want to be? Yeah. And it's interesting because the customers will tell you things that they won't tell them, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Even, even your best customers. And we ask for both, right? We want to talk to happy customers and unhappy customers, but they will tell you things um, that you don't hear from others. And part of, part of what we bring is the ability to you know, ask those kinds of questions uh, and, and kind of get, get the real story and, and bring it back in a way that the organization can absorb. That's cool. That's cool. Um, so then anything else when you walk in the door as part of that initial phase that you do for them? That, that's part of, you know, we always ask questions like, why now, right? You know, uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, why now? This is, a, this is probably not a new problem, right? This is probably something that's been going on. What changed that made this a problem for you right now? And that can be really, really, really telling. Um, you know, sometimes it's a change in leadership or change in the marketplace, but it helps us understand what the real problem is that uh, the client's trying to solve. That's cool. That's cool. So then, you know, after you do that initial analysis, and I think we all should have that done or, or, or get that level of reflection. And then, and then once you, once you do this, is there something, is there a period of time that you revisit all these things with people or is it become a part of the measuring stick as you move forward? Well, it certainly becomes part of the goals, right? I mean, it, it tells us where we need to see motion uh, and helps us understand what that might, might look like. Sometimes we'll go back and sort of re redo or revalidate the research, but for us, it's just the jumping off point is, you know, where can we find the actionable insights? Where are the levers that we can actually pull uh, to make some transformational change in the organization? So, uh, without mentioning names, don't you like when I start that way? Yeah. Um, what are some of the craziest situations you've walked into? Because I have to believe that you get called in and then you're like, like us, sometimes you're like, you're yeah. not going to believe the meeting I was in today. <laughs> you know, one, one, one of the most, one mission is one of the most unbelievable meetings. Uh, it was a very large, very old organization that in recent years had been uh, powerfully challenged by a digital upstart. So it was a big not-for-profit and a for-profit startup company got some money uh, and had a digital idea and started coming after their membership. And within three wow. years, they, they had three times as many members. What as this old organization had. Uh, so someone sounded the alarm bell, right? And, and commissioned a study like, we need to understand and look at this, what's really happening. And uh, so we brought back this detailed study of here's every move they made and everything they're doing and how they grew so fast. And we took it up through the organization. Um, and not only uh, did they dismiss it, they denied it. Come on. They, den they denied it, right? As if that can't possibly be true. Because so we can't imagine. So you've got the possible. facts, the evidence, Absolutely. right? <laughs> Absolutely. And to us, that's the epitome of living inside the jar. It's like, could you please screw the lid on a little tighter, you know? Oh, wow. Uh, for us. But that was really one of the most, most telling things that we've ever seen. And I, I think it just shows you how deeply ingrained that internal focus can be.
inside an organization. Put the lid on the jar and cover up the holes is what I And cover up, exactly, cover up the holes, <laughs> would you please? Would you please? <laughs> yeah, or the whole thing's going down. You're taking the whole, you know, which is, fun, <laughs> which is funny, you'll appreciate this. So uh, back in my CRM days, it was right when, you know, DOS was moving to Windows. Does anybody yep. else remember that? So, um, so we got to nice, pretty screens and got to use, you know, mice and things like that. But the idea is um, I was going into all these banks because I came out of doing bank audits and finance and things like that. And I said, man, these banks really need a way to take care of their customers. They should be using CRM. For four years, I walked into bank boardrooms, old, typically older white gentlemen that kicked me out of boardrooms for four years telling me, son, our banks will never be digital. We have to be on every corner. You need to leave now. This is not us. This is never going to happen. And so, and then of course, you know, then I finally get got my first CRM bank deal, you know, and it started taking off. Yeah. And then I'm like, you know, now I'm here with social media <laughs> talking to all these banks and I'm interviewing a bunch of banks right now and they're just now starting, but bless them. They're looking mm -hmm. at it finally and, and the changing of the guard and things. But what's interesting about membership and, you know, from the beginning of time, mm -hmm. um, I had membership clients. Um, is is it seemed like it was an old guard in there too like you know especially mm -hmm. the ones that have been around for a while and that sounds like what happened there are you still running into that legacy guard sort of holding tight onto the beginnings yeah you know although less and less because it's become harder and harder right i mean you could feel the winds of change coming 20 years ago right uh, and some of these or membership organizations started moving 20 years ago right yeah. they started they started going overseas. They started acquiring for-profit companies. They started making really strategic moves uh, and some held out as long as they can. And it's really reached a tipping point now where um, it's change or die for these organizations because that old model that you're talking about just doesn't work anymore, right? There's the, the purpose that they used to fulfill has been filled by you know, thousand, thousand points of light out on the internet, right? So the, the, those that haven't moved yet are now in a desperate position of having to turn very, 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 very quickly or watch the organization dwindle away. So there's, um, there's few of them left and there will be few of them, even fewer in the next few years. Yeah, one thing that I was thinking about too is that when you get done with sort of your, um, uh, I think you call it an as-is process map. This mm -hmm. is what is, you know, current state almost. Do, do you, you know, as you're moving into it and you get into strategy and mapping out the roadmap for them, do you also, do you also enlighten them on what could happen if they don't change? We, we do. And as part of the, uh, as part of the, as it is, we like to talk about not only what they're doing, but how people are reacting. So we'll sort of map. And here's what people think or when you do that, right? Here's how people are feeling. When you do that, right? Here's what how, here's what goes through their mind when you ask them to renew, uh, that. and very very eye opening for them. And realizing if we continue this trend, right, downward trend, as they say, nothing changes until something changes, right? And, well, so, but even even no changes, something's changing. So, <laughs> in, in this, even no changes, something changing. Yeah, yeah. and you know, I, I think people can sense that and sort of feel that that if they if they don't change, the future looks dim but I think it helps people to understand why, right? Specifically why and, and what are the opportunities to change it? 
Yeah, that's super, that's super cool. So then where do you take people from there? You know, so is it, is it um, a little bit of testing? Is it implementation? Because I think a lot of us, you know, need to look at our organization as is and then say, okay, our world is changing tremendously. Mm-hmm. The market is changing. Something's always changing around us. So if we're not changing or keeping up, uh, something's going to happen at some point. Mm-hmm. Now, all of a sudden you present us with a pathway or we think we have a pathway, then, then what? You know, Testing is a big part of it. We're big fans of that sort of sort of testing and learning, you know, partly to play out the concept and partly to convince people and, and bring people along, right? They, they sort of need to see the, uh, they need to see the proof. So oftentimes it's a test plan. Oftentimes it's a communication plan, right? How do we, you know, we're excited about this now. We've got a great idea. How do we get other people excited about it? How do we get to bring them along? Uh, you know, not only in the boardroom and the executive room, but throughout the organization and through our customer base, how do we kind of sell the idea uh, is a big part of the work that big part of the work that we do, and and how do you stage this in the right way, right? You can't necessarily flip all the switches at once. So, you know, what, what do we need to do first, right? Uh, and and what should we necessarily? Well, what do we have to do next? Yeah, that's always interesting. So when you're getting um, when you're getting the company on board, um, and we run into this too. But what do you see in terms of who to pick? to actually be like the champions? Do you take, do you take mm-hmm. sort of a mix of people that are really the go-getters, the enthusiasts, uh, along with uh, the people that are dragging behind? Do you mix those up or how do you look at that, you know, with the team? Like, how do you select who's mm-hmm. going to actually, you know, like we want to move the ball forward. This is yeah. who should participate. Yeah, that's a great question. A, a lot of clients have this very democratic approach to this. Like, we need one person from each department, right? And, you know, we have to have VPs and all that. And that's a terrible, terrible approach. Uh, we look for cheerleaders, right? And we ask them, we say, you know, who are the most influential people? Who are the people in this company that everyone else will listen to? Whether you wish they would or not, right? Those are the people that we want. And sometimes they're people outside the organization. Sometimes it's a former executive. Sometimes it's a, a, an outspoken customer, right? Sometimes it's an industry analyst. But who are the people whose voices carry weight? And we bring them into the process as much as we can. Sometimes we have an advisory committee, right? Sometimes we put them right on the steering committee. But you know, their job is to help us translate our message in a way that will we'll sell, but also to amplify the message through the organization because we know um, that if they say it, other people are going to believe it. And it's, it's a huge part of it's us. Yeah, that's cool. And I always wonder, I always wonder about that because, because uh, we'll get, um, they'll serve people up to us. And then, right. we, then we have to say, well, you know, okay, but you know, we'd like to have an option to, you know, help you select those people. Yeah, and it also shakes up the thinking, right? I mean, if you have the same people in the room making decisions as have always been making decisions, it's, it's hard to get different decisions. So, uh, you know, you want to bring some new thinking, you want to bring some new voices into the room, you want people who can challenge it a little bit. And no change is no change, so. And no, no change, and no change is no change. No change is no change. Right. Um, so, then, uh, so then as we roll out, what other uh, suggestions do you have for, uh, us, uh, all of us out here that have these membership organizations, uh, you know, what other things do you see that we should be looking at? You know, I, I think I think it's really important to understand how much of how much members identify with their organizations. Right? Um, it's very easy to think about what you do as a transaction. Them, yeah. Right? They sign up, and we give them this, like it's a subscription. Right? You pay your fee, you get your magazine. 
um, people want a lot more than that, right? They really do want that sense of belonging, right? They want to they want to be able to identify with something. They want to feel like um, you're one of them, right? Or they're with other people like them, or being with you makes them more powerful, right? Or makes them smarter, and and help them feel that way. That's really what they want from you. There's a reason they, that they're members and not um, not just customers. And I actually would take it further and say if if you think about your customers as members, what would you do differently, right? Yes. If you wanted them not just to buy from you, but to feel like they belong with you. And I think you know, we all have brands where we have that experience that being a customer of this, right, gives me a sense of identity. You know, one of the, the strongest and our best practice work we've done, Harley Davidson, right? Probably one of the best in the world of making people who purchase their products feel like they're part of a family, right? Yeah, right. You know who I am. I am who I am because I own a Harley, right? You're smiling. Everyone gets that feeling. I mean, that's the essence. That's what we're after when we work with membership organizations. And that's what we're after when we work with other organizations that want to learn from membership organizations is how do you create a shared sense of identity and then live up to that uh, every day. Yeah, and it's funny with Harley because that's when they they were almost going under when they shifted their entire brand. And then all of a sudden it became a lifestyle for people. Exactly. They, they created a culture, a lifestyle outside of the company, like out of the whole world. And then then all of a sudden clothing popped up everywhere and people wanted to belong and et cetera. So. Yeah, and, and it, they got it uh, and they knew who they were, right? Let's bring it back to authenticity. They understood who their customers really were, and they understood who they really were as a company and where those two things came together. And that's what's so intensely powerful about that. And I think that's the, the connection point that we're always looking for. I think all of us should be looking for is, you know, what do our customers genuinely want that we can genuinely provide uh, in a way that nobody else can. Yeah, I like that. I like that. You also uh, deal with um, companies that uh, you call it platform marketing, right? Mm -hmm. Yep. So tell us a little bit of what, what that means and how you help those, those folks. So platform marketing, the idea around a platform market is that you, somehow, you develop an audience, right? You've developed an audience one way or another um, that are, are bound to you through a membership or, or uh, perhaps some other sort of common interest. You can monetize that audience in lots of different ways, right? So you could certainly sell them a product. Um, or you could advertise to them, right? Or you could publish something for them, or there's many ways that you could do that. Uh, an ecosystem that does that well as a platform, and AARP is a, is a fantastic example of that. They've developed an audience of almost 40 million people in the United States over the age of 50, um, and they've been able to monetize that in a number of different ways. People pay dues, and uh, they have products and services that, um, that they carry the AARP name, and uh, you know, there's advertising in all sorts of ways that they do that, that generate the revenues that serve their mission. That's an example right. of a platform. Uh, but there are others and there are people who are um, looking very carefully at that model and how they can replicate that in other places around the world. Uh, but the, the whole idea of, of the name of the game is to develop an audience uh, and then create an ecosystem around it uh, is the idea of platform marketing, which um, is, has a new life, right? In this digital yeah, era, right. because it's, it's so much faster to do it. And it's the connections make themselves so much more quickly that these things can accelerate very, 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 very quickly. Do you have any examples of us of people that are doing that well out there? You know, uh, uh, other than AARP, I mean, I think if you look at a company like um, like a, a USAA, is oh, another yeah. good example. They built a, an audience of fanatically loyal uh, military families that they serve in any number of different ways, right? With their own insurance products and with other products and services. But their focus was on, it wasn't on the product, it was on the audience. Is how can we cultivate 
a loyal, willing, open, uh, excited audience, you know, for us. And then what are all the different ways that we can serve them and how can we uh, get partners to join us in this effort to serve this, this audience? That's cool. That's super cool. Um, you also dabble in the disruptive, right? Well, you can't dabble in disruptive, right? <laughs> well, some think they can. <laughs> you're, 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 either, you're either in or you're out. Right? You're either that juvenile delinquent or you're not. <laughs> or, you're, or, you're, or you're not. See and how it goes back? See how it follows us in? <laughs> yeah, we established that we both are. So. Right. Um, so tell us a little bit about, you know, from your perspective of how uh, how you leverage, uh, you know, disruptive and disruptive marketing. When when you start doing, when you start launching or taking people out there, what does that look like for you? Well, you know, for us, it's it's looking for what the opportunities are, right? It's yeah. Back to the back to the early days of the internet, uh, and you know, you got a lot of denial from your banking clients. I remember a technology executive waved his hand and said, "Oh, this internet thing is just a fad." You know? I remember people telling me that email would never take off. And that email would never take off. I mean, there's, there's millions and millions of those stories, but the, the stories of the winners are the ones who embraced it, right? Who, who really embraced the possibilities. Um, and, you know, some of the disruption is technology. That's sort of the, the, the tried and true. Well, that's the way we all talk about it now. But some of the disruptive things going on out there are much larger trends. And we, we do a lot of work in the longevity space, right? That, you know, the population is getting older, um, not only older, but they're living longer, which right. means they're productive longer, which means they want to be healthy longer, which means they want you know, to have income longer. Um, and all those are tremendously disruptive things. And it's happening here, but it's happening at warp speed in other places around the world. And you mentioned some of our work in South America and Asia, which have some of the fastest aging economies in the world, which is putting tremendous pressure on their social systems, but it's also creating lots and lots of opportunities for uh, people to serve this older market in ways that they've never been served before. So it's, it's a disruption, perhaps in slow motion, um, but it's happening and it's inevitable and you can see the changes every day. The clients that are on top of that are the ones that have accepted the reality, right? right. That this is happening uh, and it's not going to stop happening. And I can either be in front of it or I can be behind it and trying to get in front of it. And part of that's just understanding what it really means. But part of it is being you know, willing to take the risk to say someone has to go first, um, might as well be me. Right? Let's take the chance. And our clients have had a lot of success. Uh, in Japan and in Taiwan and in Brazil and other places and developing these platforms uh, around these aging markets and sort of other markets that are developing um, in their in their spaces. Yeah, and I think um, I think it's exciting times right now because with technology, with the things at hand, it allows us to 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 really become disruptive in a positive way, you know, in terms of uh, breaking into new markets, breaking into new things, expressing new ideas, rolling out new products, um, and and just lets us get right to it a lot faster than back when people were denying email. Yeah, you know, what what I find exciting about it is how quickly it lets us respond to disruption. Yes, right? yes, yes. I yes. mean, th there was a day when the technology was the disruption, and right. sometimes that's still true. But what's cool about today is you can jump on top of a disruptive tendency and be out in front of it. In, in nanoseconds compared to where we were a long time ago. I mean, I, I have uh, you know, clients now who can sort of change direction in terms of their content marketing and messaging you know, within a day. Yeah. Uh, where, you know, that would, it might've taken months, you know, not even or a couple years. of years. <laughs> or, or years, a couple of years, but right. literally, um, you know, literally can turn on a dime because they've, they've mastered this technology and, and you know, internalized it in terms of how they, how they deal with the outside world.
Yeah. Wasn't there a story where you helped a client and it would take them like how long to get an email out to how long it now takes them to get an email out? Is four that months. Huh? Four months. It took four them, months four to get months. One, one email out. You're that Monaco. That's we're not allowing that. So four months, four months to get an email out the door. Uh, and, and the email might not have even been uh, very good. Uh, and, and now they can do it literally in the matter of hours and it's good stuff. Wow. And very, very little of that was technology, right? Email is old news. You know, a, a lot of it was just about mentality. I was going to say culture. mindset, right? Mindset. mindset. Yep. You know, mindset and, uh, and working process, right? How they were able to work together. So, and that's been transformational for their business. That level of agility and responsiveness has really transformed their business. It's been exciting to watch. Yeah. And we've seen uh, a ton of change out there. We used to roll out programs and testing and releases and it would take us a year to go from 1.0 to a 2.0 out there and now it's nice that you can get things into the customer's hands as soon as possible get feedback make it better and keep it rolling out so it's like you know almost like um, a rolling start if you will on many things yeah and and you have to have an organization that's prepared for that right Right. it's ready to work that way and move that move that quickly and you know it's a lot it's easier when you're small Right. You know, as, as you grow and as the organization gets mature and I, we know we've both experienced this, it gets it gets harder and harder to be that uh, that agile. Right. You get more and more comfortable in the jar. Right. Um, in terms of um, maybe people uh, along the way that have been significant in helping you get to this you know, stage and, and this knowledge and this part where your business is at today. Anybody you want to give a shout out to that? you know, is either here with us or no longer with us that, that was, it had an impact on your life to really get to this moment. Well, I got to give out a shout to my, uh, uh, my life and business partner, Lisa, uh, right. He's just been in this adventure with me for the last 18 years. You know? yeah, amazing lady, by the way, I love Lisa. So through all, through all of our own disruptions, right. And all You're our right. Own, our own <laughs> well, we could do a whole episode on how is it to work that. with your spouse, <laughs> <laughs> you know, on our, uh, on our own existential journey. So I, I, yes. I learned a lot. I learned a lot from her. That's uh, cool. And, yeah. She's a, uh, more, let's just say she's more than half of our success. Right. Um, Jimmy Z said he would, he would sign up for that one if we did an episode just on how to work with your spouse. Uh, on, on how to work, how to work with your spouse. Yeah. We, we get that a lot. It's like, Oh, we've been working together for 18 years. And they're like, Oh, so you're still married. You know, right. Exactly. No, just working together. <laughs> Well, you know, and, and we, we, we go to meetings together and we sort of start off by saying, you know, and yes, we are married. We had a client. I, remember, I was in one of those meetings. <laughs> we, we have to. Self-defense. We had a client once. We, we worked with for three months. We said, so are you guys brother and sister? We're like, that is so creepy for us. That's just, you know, you can't say that. So, so now we just let people know yeah, we're, we're married. It's, you know, yeah. it's, all, it's all good. It's all good. That's cool stuff. Um, so, uh, so what about, um, any, you know, people always like to get referenced to maybe good books or, or research things that you, uh, like out there today, anything that you're reading or anything that you, you know, care to share with us that you're, um, that you follow anything like that? Well, Dean's book, of course. <laughs> there's always, there's always room for a cheap one. Uh, but, but besides that, you know, anybody else, anything else you're reading out there? Um, at the moment, no. The okay. Moment. Now that's cool. And then um, what about uh, when you're not working? What do you love mm-hmm. to do? When I am not working, Besides I Besides whispering family. to cats. I like whispering to cats. Um, I have two, two dogs that cannot be whispered to. 
uh, it would seem. Uh, and I'm a fan, I'm very much a family guy, right? So I spend, spend time with my wife, spend time with my kids. Um, that's what we really like to do. And you have inspired both Monica and I to travel, just so you know. So, well, we, in, we are being in 53 countries. That's pretty impressive. We are, we are world travelers and we do a lot of that together, but I have been to 53 countries uh, in my, in my 53 years. So. And, and your bucket list is a hundred, right? My bucket list is a hundred. So I'm hoping to add a few more yet this year. Uh, and uh, maybe, maybe a few more next year, but it's uh, I love, we love the adventure of it. We love the new experience. Um, I love sharing it with my kids. Yeah, that's super cool. Super cool. Um, all right. Well, this is the, uh, what did you learn from today's episode? Like one thing that stuck out that maybe you can do for your organization or how uh, maybe you can help your organization or maybe help somebody else out there. Could you type that in if you're on with us uh, live here or if you're listening to the podcast, type it into the show notes down there. But um, Monica, what did you get out of today's session? You always pick me first. <laughs> um, I, you know, it's always interesting listening to Chris and all the different types of methods that you use um, to help your organizations, you know, really grow. And as Dean mentioned, you know, this is an exciting time for, for us with technology constantly um, expanding and bringing in different tools. Um, it's amazing to be, be part of that and be able to really I guess, bring that to your clients. Yeah, that's cool. And um, Jackson, how about you? Yeah, I mean, I gotta say, same as Monica. I mean, I've listened to, you know, like Chris, what was it, two weeks ago we sat mm -hmm. and you sat there and I listened to two parts of present your presentations and I was like, you know, just taken back. I was like, what, this is awesome. You know, this is you know, <laughs> a lot of things that, you know, uh, we missed out on on the first time around and we got to make up for it. and I think that was awesome and you know you I, I heard a couple of overlapping uh, things that you had mentioned during the episode and I just think that you, you know like especially that they stick around too long and they don't make enough impact I feel like like I mean that that you know editing the other video and then this I've you know heard that a few times so that really stuck out to me because I was like I've heard that before but, uh, but but from Chris, I've never heard it anywhere else. Um, and I think that's a, like a great thing that, you know, a lot of us don't think about all the time is, you know, not making that impact. It's like, you can't settle for, for nothing. You know what I mean? Well, and I think too, too, I think it, both humans and companies uh, settle into complacency. And that's what I like <laughs> is that you actually create disruptive on the inside by telling them, mm -hmm. by almost shaking them and going, hey, it's time to wake up. You know, it's not, you know, it's not 79 anymore or 82 <laughs> or whatever, wherever you're at. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. And it, it's part of what makes it fun. Yeah, that's cool. That's cool. And Nancy, uh, appreciate it. If you want to grow your followers, you have to build a community. And then Jimmy Z was inspired about how much you love life and make an adventure with your family and, uh, and work so well with your wife, Lisa, and serving your clients with the same kind of world-class style. So that's super cool. Thank so, you very much. Yeah. And uh, remember, everybody, what we ask of you is that you uh, share what you learned today or what you heard today, either with people within your organization or somebody that you care about. Uh, we want you to be those true thought leaders out here that take those nuggets that you learn from us um, and our guests and say, wow, they had Chris Vaughn on today, Dr. Chris Vaughn, and this is what I learned. Even if it was just the definition of existentialism, existentialism. <laughs> 
<laughs> equals authenticity. Say that five times. <laughs> I know, right? Equals authenticity. <laughs> and that was authentic right there. <laughs> but Chris, thank you so much. We loved having you on. And Jackson, do we have a couple winners from today's show? Yes, we do. We have Jerry Sullivan on the Zoom and on Facebook Live, we have Bryant Wallace. So Bryant, all right. Yeah. And uh, and Jerry, congratulations out there. So, uh, and you two have a special assignment when you get your Starbucks gift card. We want you to invite somebody and share what you learned from this episode and maybe by then how you've applied it, but make sure you grab that. And whether it's a hot cocoa, a tea or a latte or whatever it is you do there, but just make sure you share the knowledge with those people face-to-face. -face. So we want to encourage all of you to do that. And uh, we believe you're all winners because you're learning every day with us. And Chris, thank you so much again for being on with us today. Thanks, and, dude. It's been fun. Um, and being part of episode 80. It's a famous episode, you know. Quite an honor. <laughs> and, uh, and with that being said, we'll see everybody else online soon. And next week, same channel, same station. We'll see you online at the Influence Factory. Take care, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Influence Factory podcast. We welcome feedback and suggestions. You can provide these by visiting our website at www.myinfluencefactory.com. And if you are interested in Social Jack's 90 Days to Influence program, you can simply go to 90daystobusinessinfluence.com and simply ask for the next steps. While our program airs regularly on Zoom webcasts and Facebook Live on Wednesdays at noon central, we invite you to download episodes on your favorite channel, YouTube, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spreaker, SoundCloud, and who knows where else in the future. We will also provide occasional on-location live streams with special guests that we will announce in our community Facebook group, Business Influencer Alliance, as well as on all Social Jack channels. Our mission is to help you build your digital business influence with this podcast, as well as inspire, educate, and entertain those who are hungry to collaborate in a cool place with cool business professionals just like you.